The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail. Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well. But now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm. Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms. We're America, your family, the land of liberty. We're thankful for your sacrifice, your fight to keep us free. We are America. We truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation. Thanks to you, we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America wants you. It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition with Gary Ray, along with his prestigious co-host. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray and this week's co-host. Welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is June 4th already, 2013. I'm Gary Ray, along with our distinguished co-host, Linda Crater, President and CEO for the TheVeteranCaregiver.com. Welcome, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Gary Ray. I am just fine this morning. Good. And you had a good weekend? I had a wonderful weekend, and I'm really looking forward to talking with our guest today. All right, right. We'll be accepting call-ins, by the way, so if you have a question for our guest, call in at 866-472-5787. And if you happen to miss the show and listen to the archive show and come up with a question, feel free to give us a, just drop us an email at AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. Linda, you want to introduce our guest this morning? I'd be delighted to. We have with us today Paulette Mason, who is one of the parent caregivers of a wounded warrior who is now a veteran. I met Paulette a couple of years ago at Walter Reed uh, Army Medical Center and have been watching as she is one of 40% of all of the caregivers are parents. I think most people think of the caregiving population as being spouses, but it really has been falling a large part to other members of the family as well as spouses. And Paulette is here to talk to us today about some of the unique challenges of being a parent caregiver, being thrust abruptly into the world and culture of military and the medicine uh, medical system that she's dealing with, the new language, location, living situations, communication, and mostly how do you become an advocate for your wounded warrior in a system that you are unfamiliar with? 
So I'm delighted to welcome Paulette Mason to our show today. Thank you, Linda. I'm proud to be here and happy to uh, share my experience and answer any questions that anyone may have. All right. Well, good morning, Paulette. Good morning, Gary Ray. Let's start with the unique challenges you faced as a parent caregiver. Well, (laughs) I think one of the unique challenges is that as a parent caregiver, um, most of us are civilians. You know, your child joins the service, as mine did. Excuse me. Uh, She is a reservist. And um, your child goes off to training and war. And as a civilian, you really don't understand that much about the military, especially in a community like mine where we are kind of a bit removed from military life. Um, So as a parent, I wanted to learn more about what my daughter was going to do, so I became involved as a volunteer early in her uh joining the service, and that was back in 2003. And luckily I did because the experience I gained as a volunteer helped me to uh, navigate the system of the wounded warriors. And um, in April of 2010, my daughter was injured in Afghanistan, and that's when I got the dreaded phone call. So um, I'll speak a little bit about that, if that's all right, and then um, just give you some of the experiences there. Sure. Um, Definitely. Again, um, a lot of these are my experiences, but I've talked to many parents throughout the U.S. and living within the military at the hospital for three years. So um, I'd like to share that. Um, In April 2010, the dreaded phone call came late at night that my daughter had been uh, injured, and um, the information was fragmented. And with all the preparation I had in volunteering, I always thought it was a set order that you would receive information from the Red Cross. Well, it didn't come that way. And the flurry of activity that evening waiting for a call, whether she was going to survive or what had happened, um, of course, puts a parent in frenzy. And um, I had learned that she had been in a motor vehicle accident, something I had never expected, and um, that she had a brain injury and several other injuries. And my first question, as many parents have asked, is my my, uh, service member going to make it through the night? And the doctor said, we have to see and wait. So that was the start of an adventure that has still continued. Being thrust into the role of a caregiver was something I never knew about or was ever prepared for. Um, I always prepared that my daughter would either come home or, unfortunately, maybe be killed, and I was prepared for that. Mentally, it was difficult, but I was prepared for that. But being wounded was, again, another thing I had never even thought of. So being brought into that as a caregiver, which meant um, the Army wanted me to come in, help with my daughter's care, and uh, help her through the Wounded Warrior Transition System. And, of course, I was happy to do that. But looking back, I would have probably asked questions. How long is this going to take? What is expected of me? Um... How do I help? Do I need training? Things like that. 
And those were answers that I learned and had to get along the way as many other parents. You're kind of just brought into a system and dropped in, and you need to survive. Paulette, do you remember when you first visited your daughter? What went through your mind as you were trying to triage in your own mind what you needed to do and and what steps to take? Do you remember? Um, I remember visiting my daughter when she just came in um, from theater, and she was in the old Walter Reed Hospital in ICU, and I walked in with her sister arm in arm, and I was just shocked to see the sights of tubes and everything. It was just a complete shock. And, of course, my daughter was unconscious at that point, so I was going, oh, my God, what happened What's wrong with her? I still didn't understand what was going on. So I was in shock, I would say. That's fair. In an, in an unfamiliar setting, in an unfamiliar culture. So, How did you get your feet back underneath you? I'm not quite sure. Uh, <laughs> luckily, I had a background in um, medical research. I had worked in a hospital and in pharmaceutical research, so I had medical background and um, and my own situation with cancer, I, you know, having gone through that. So I had learned a lot of practical experience, but um, to me, communication was the, the key. I had to start asking who was who, what was what, and that's what I had to start with. There was no manual, no one there basically telling you what was going to happen, um, as you can imagine, when a, uh, when a service member comes in, there's a flurry act of activity with nurses and doctors, and the units are all there trying to talk to you about uh, LOD, line of duty orders, this and that. I had no idea what they were talking about. So it was a learning experience right from the beginning. <laughs> so do you recall if you received any training in the acronyms that are used, this fancy language that the military uses, uh, or even the medical terminology, which thankfully you did have some background in. But as you were walking through this, was it all on-the-job training, as it were? In my case, it was all on-the-job training. No, I understood none of the acronyms. Um, I tried to get answers from doctors. You know, as a civilian, if you have a doctor, you ask a question, you'll get an answer. I couldn't get answers from anyone I didn't know what was going on. I asked, you know, questions, and that's how I got my, my training. And um, as I remember, uh, my husband and I were there demanding answers, and we still couldn't get them. We wanted to talk to someone about our daughter. So it was, it was very difficult in the beginning. Yeah. Paul, you know, after reading some of the information you sent me, it sounds like the challenges faced by parent caregivers compared to the spouse caregivers have a whole different set of rules. Um, yes, Gary. Well, you know, as I've talked to many spouses, um, uh-huh. they said they signed up. They knew what they were getting into. As parents, we don't. We're sort of, we let our children go, and they go off on their way, never being expected that we're going to end up working uh, or being with them, too, in the military. So, you know, you're pulled into this uh, situation that you had no experience with, and... Um, as I can say, you know, it has been difficult, and, and there are some challenges that parents do face. Um, we have civilian jobs, 
and um, employers, but parents don't have any rights, um, as I have found out over the past three years. Um, reservists have rights first under uh, something called USERA, um, which is uh, the uh, Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Act. Basically, for a reservist, an employer has, must hold the service member's job for up to five years as long as they're deployed or under Title X orders. There's nothing like that for a parent. There's also the family, the FMLA, which is the Family Military Leave Act, and uh, a parent can take that for, I believe, up to six months of unpaid leave. But in my case, it did not apply because that only applies to families with, I'm, I'm sorry, to businesses with 50 or more employees, and I worked in a business with 30. And um, the other thing that I find wrong with the FMLA is that there is not enough time for that. Most of these uh, service members are catastrophically injured. A parent may be there two years, three years. I know some there four years. So these are injuries that last a long time, and these laws just do not cover or there aren't anything for parents. What you're bringing up is something that is being discussed on the Hill right now. I believe FMLA has now been expanded to one year for the caregivers of wounded warriors. But as you say, you have had a journey that has been longer than one year, and it also would not have been covered under your small business that you were working with. Correct. And uh, uh, according to the AARP, uh, again, um, when people in their um, young people, when you know our service members are injured, their parents are ser- parents are usually in their forties, and on average, uh, AARP has given the statistics that they lose in lifetime income, including lost wages, social security, and pensions, around three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. And um, as I said, uh, in my case, I'm a bit older, and of course, you build up, you know, your career and everything. And in my case, I lost a job. And being in my 60s, it's hard to get back into the workforce, almost impossible. So you can imagine the financial impact um, of losing a job. You have home, you have expenses, and uh, the small stipend that is given to the caregivers basically is very small, hardly covers anything. Well, ladies, if you can keep keep that thought, okay, it's it's time to take a short break. I just want to remind everyone, American Heroes Network is not only a voice for our veterans, but also a voice for their families and their caregivers. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda Crater and our special guest, Paula Mason. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, and we'll be right back. out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. 
American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray and his co-host as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. And uh, while we're on break, uh, we were talking. And Linda, you had a very good question. Uh, why don't you ask Paulette that question? Hopefully, uh, <laughs> this is a little bit outrageous. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, unfortunately, Gary, it's not outrageous. Um, I was relating the fact that as a caregiver, you are, are thrust into the role, as Paulette has, has said. But oftentimes some of these extraneous things that are very vital and very important to someone's identity, such as your job, your uh, what you do in life outside that, that gives you value and is recognized by others, um, Paulette has a rather interesting tale of her employment, which was ended rather abruptly. I wonder if you'd share that with us, Paulette. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, as mentioned, you know, you're thrust into a role and you have a catastrophically, critically ill soldier. And even though FMLA did not cover me, uh, my employer contacted me after six months. I had been working remotely for them because I, I do PR and marketing. So I was able to do some of the work. And um, I was contacted and said that um, they wanted to talk about the situation and um, they needed me back in the office. And I had it basically asked if we could continue the situation as it was remotely, and they, I was told no. Um, and my employer said, well, you're going to have to choose between your daughter and your job. Mm-hmm. And at that point, my daughter had had a brain injury and still was not responsive enough to be on her own, nor could she work, uh, walk because of her other injury. She was in a wheelchair for six months. So I received an email a couple weeks later saying that my job had been terminated. And um, I looked back and even though I knew I made the right decision, I had to be there for my daughter. Right. Um, I lost a sense of identity. I had worked so hard to go through college to build up my career. I helped start the business. It was a thriving business. And 
I was just cast to the side into this new role. And um, as I said, it was, it was a shock. But I know this has happened to others, too. I have another mother that I met who was an attorney, and her son was injured. He'd lost both legs. And uh, she was fired in the lobby of Walter Reed. So she got hers right at the hospital. But you wonder, how, you know, I understand employers have a business to run, but where, where do people get help? You know, you build a career and then it's gone. So, you know, like I said, that's something I'm still, still dealing with, loss of identity and sense and accomplishments in the past. Doesn't it make your skin crawl, Gary? Yes, it does. That's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. Um, Want to mention a company? (laughs) Oh, no. You know, like I say, (laughs) our employers are really supportive, but, you know, what's the answer? Um, Maybe, you know, I don't know if anyone really in the government has sat down to really look at the outcome of what what this does to the family dynamics. Um, You know, you also, besides losing a job, you lose time with your spouse, with your other children, without your your family members, um, and your community. Uh, After a while, you know, you just kind of lose touch with everyone back home, and you have a new living situation. And you become friends and close with those parents or spouses and service members who are injured. And that's your new family. That's your new normal. But it's not very normal with the sites that you see. And um, I know some have had a hard time that couldn't stay there. Um, My husband came to help relieve me for a week and said he couldn't do it again. He couldn't deal with all the bureaucracy, he couldn't deal with the sites. He was typically a mess to see these poor service members injured so badly. So um, this whole system just uh, wreaked havoc on our own relationship. So because my attention was to my daughter and everybody else in my life, there was nothing there. I had to, you know, focus on getting her well again. That's an interesting point that you bring up, the loss of the sense of community. Were your friends supportive at home, or were they really unaware of what you were going through? Um, I think they were unaware. My closer friends were unaware. There were organizations back home. As I said, I had volunteered. Uh, There was one military organization called Boots, Delaware Boots on the Ground, and actually uh, Jill Biden, Dr. Biden, was part of that, and I knew her from working with her on that. Mm -hmm. And her own son was a member or is a member of the National Guard. So when my daughter was deployed, she knew what it was like, what I was going through. And that organization, you know, was behind us. They were trying to help in any way, but I couldn't tell them what I needed for help. I was still in a state of shock. Mm -hmm. And there are other organizations out there. Um, Without them, um, where would we be? Families of the wounded. Um, I remember them quite vividly when we went to McGuire uh, VA, where my daughter was being treated for a brain injury, a gentleman came up, a disabled gentleman who introduced himself, I'll never forget, as Captain Haneke, and uh, 
offered us assistance, and I said proudly, no, we don't need anything. We can do this ourselves. And he said, you don't understand. And you know what? Captain Haneke is still my friend today, and that organization is a wonderful organization. Wonderful. And um, even though my daughter did not lose a limb, uh, again, having a brain injury is just as bad. So people in the community, um, uh, organizations like the Aletheia Foundation, uh, Wounded Warrior Project have helped us. And um, without the community, I don't know where we would have been. That's well put. Can you talk a little bit about the logistics, the living um, situation, how you managed each day? Um, it was really interesting. Um, our incident happened, um, I, and I know many people are familiar with the Walter Reed scandal, so I immediately got on the Internet knowing that I was going to Walter Reed to find out what had happened. But um, my experience, um, I want to say it was interesting. We were put up in uh, essentially a hotel room. It was called the Malone House, and it was a two-bed room uh, where we lived, and I took care of Stephanie. She was in one bed. I was in the other. And it was a 24-7 job on my part and the part of any caregiver. When she was sick, I was up all night. Um, and there were many instances where we even had, we had to take her by ambulance because she needed care. And this was the living condition. You were there 24-7 taking care of a wounded warrior. And you were exhausted. Yet I didn't feel that the caregivers themselves were ever taken care of. Um, again, I had to. I got sick. I had to find help, and yet, being a caregiver parent, you don't have Tricare, and you didn't have the resources, so you would have to find out how you got help. So, um, that was one of the challenges. And uh, can you imagine living in a room with a very sick person, uh, the size of a motel room? and not really having anything there, you had to really improvise. So I felt really sorry for the parents, uh, especially the mothers who were with sons. They had no privacy. At least mine was my daughter, so, you know, we had that. Now, when you moved over to Bethesda, did that situation change in the new facility? Um, the new facility was actually very nice. And we were not really used to living in such um, a two-bedroom apartment. But I found the transition to Bethesda um, very disappointing. Um, I would have thought they would have been better prepared for the population they were going to bring. For instance, uh, in my case, and uh, as people would know me, uh, we had no hot water to take showers for almost a month. And I kept asking and asking, and um, the facility was a, basically a construction site. My daughter, who had at that point start walking around and had problems with her vision, actually stepped into an open, I believe it was like a sewer pipe, and damaged her leg. So it was just absolutely unconscionable to me that they would have moved the wounded warriors over there like they did. Living facilities were okay, but you felt like you were living in a construction site. 
So basically, it was perhaps premature, or it was still underway. Um, Absolutely, I know. I know you? Walter Reed was BRAC, but it was premature. It, they were not ready, and um, it should have never happened that fast. And Please um, tell us uh, that things have improved. Have they? Things had improved, but the caregivers had to basically um, start raising cane there. There were no safety issues, nothing in place there. Amputees were put on the fifth floor, and when the fire alarms would go off all the time, they couldn't use, there were no safety nets to get down the steps. And a mother actually was stuck up on the floor having to carry her son down or slide down the steps. So some of those have been addressed. Some of them haven't. Whoa. Are you okay. serious? <laughs> Absolutely serious. I remember being in Building 62 and in a town hall meeting asking, we have six uh, doors into this building. Why is one only handicap accessible or disabled accessible? We had uh, military members there missing limbs, two limbs, three limbs, four limbs. They couldn't get out the door. They couldn't open a door. They had nothing. They depended on the caregivers to help them. Now, Paulette, what kind of, um, I'll call it either training or support, were you given um, as a caregiver among the group of caregivers? Were there meetings that were periodically held or trainings or in-services that gave you an understanding of how to take care of your warrior? How did that work? Well, in the very beginning um, at Walter Reed, um, you know, they had a course, but we fell through the cracks, and I can elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, But basically, no, I had no training. Um, They would move your soldier around here and there without telling you, and you had to go find where they were sometimes, and that's what happened at Walter Reed. They were moving my daughter to McGuire, and all of a sudden, we had to go to McGuire, and when we came back, we just fell through every crack that was possible at Walter Reed. No, but that does, please say that doesn't happen to everyone. Right. Uh, I wish I could say that, but um, if there's a crack, somebody's found it. All right. Everyone, keep that thought. I told you this hour was going to go fast. It's time <laughs> to take a short break. Uh, you have to check out our mobile sponsor, First Class Merchant Services. Here's a true story. I had Josh, the owner for First Class Merchant Services, sit down with a friend of mine that runs a small business. He actually saved him $600 a month, a month on his merchant services. So what do you have to lose? Just check out his website at www.firstclassms.com. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray and his co-host as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. 
Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are. In the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. And while we're on break again, we're talking about uh, professional experience and serving on uh, certain boards. Uh, Linda, you had a question? Well, I, I think that Paulette's experience is very broad. And as yes. she was going through a lot of this experience of learning the culture, learning how to advocate, how to navigate the system and its resources, uh, she didn't just go through poor experiences. She decided to become part of the solution. And, Paulette, if you would share how your volunteer experiences and your life experiences at Walter Reed and now Bethesda have led you to certain roles that allow you to actually affect policy and make positive changes for great outcomes. Sure. I'd be happy to share that. Um, first of all, as you mentioned, I'm talking from a civilian standpoint, and these are my views. Uh, my civilian career was served in the corporate America and small business, and I worked for some of the top companies like DuPont, IBM, and even for smaller businesses, helping found those and uh, use, utilizing my communications and marketing background. So I've had around 40 years in corporate and small business and um, developing policies for actually I worked in the FDA um, research area for one of the large pharmaceutical companies. So I brought that all with me when I uh, got into the realm of volunteering with the military and started out as a family readiness group leader for my daughter's um, unit um, where she was going to be deployed. So in that respect, I worked with families, helping them cope with the deployment of their service members and started from scratch, basically, building a network of communication with that. And I guess I got recognized at some level. I got an award at the 99th uh, RRSC at that time, or the RSC. And then I was asked to run a program in the state of Delaware called the Employer Support of Guard and Reserve. And that basically um, would... 
I would work as, again, as a volunteer and try to get volunteers to work with uh, employers to help them understand the USERRA law, which I had mentioned before, the Uniform Services Employment and Reemployment Act, and uh, get them on board as partners uh, in uh, the deployment of their uh, employee and, and service member. So I guided that program for three years, and we had a really great program in Delaware, and um, we made wonderful inroads with the corporations and businesses to support our soldiers. Um, at that time, my daughter was injured, so um, I had to uh, still. I did my. I had my volunteer commitment, which I kept, and then I found out they wanted. They uh, some of the people at the DoD knew what I had done with ESGR. They uh, recommended me to have an appointment on the Reserve Forces Policy Board. And basically, it is an advisory committee to the Secretary of Defense uh, regarding reserve um, issues. So I now sit on that committee, and I do chair the subcommittee on that for service members, families, employers, and I've included wounded warriors on that because our reservists are wounded warriors, and I think that's a very important part. So I've brought all my business experience to the military and would even like to share it more. While at Walter Reed, I had been on several committees um, trying to uh, put together policies for them, noticed a lot of things would help uh, give information to change things for the better. And sometimes, I, uh, you know, I've learned that if in a bureaucracy, a bureaucratic system like this, it's really difficult to make change. And um, I get a little frustrated because I'm one, let's do it, you know, and get it done. So um, I, right now, uh, try to consult or uh, serve on, I'm always asked to be on a committee, but um, right now, I'm still dealing with my daughter's issues, and we're just getting into the VA, VA system, so I'll be learning a whole new area. <laughs> All right. Uh, just before we go on a little bit further, we have a guest that just called in. Uh, well, actually, part of the co-hosting. Uh, how's it going, Charles? Everything is great. How's everything going there, Gary? <laughs> Good. Hey, hey Charles. How you doing? You, I see a couple of my old friends on the line talking. Reservist, you want to treat them as active duty. When they got injured, it was an active duty soldier. 
Right. You need to treat them by the same protocol and policies that you do your active duty. Separation, as they say, of, of regiment is out of the door at that time. So I'm glad young ladies and gentlemen like yourself are so aware. You bring us to the table. Don't let these wounded warriors that are reservists and guard think that they're not active duty when they're still on orders. You're active duty. And by the rules of the convention and by the policies of the United States DOD, you fall under the same policy and protocol right now. It wasn't when I was coming through because it was still trying to tweak it because it wasn't expecting us to go over and get injured. It was expecting us to go over and stand through the streets and not get hit, which is impossible. Mm-hmm. But uh, great work, guys. Great work. Right. Well, Charles, I think that's where Paulette's experience has just been so invaluable because until she started to work on this subcommittee, et cetera, I think that there was very little regard and understanding about the differences uh, in the, I'll call it the continuum of care pathway. We like to think that it's seamless and it's exactly the same, but I think all of us have seen far too many instances where it is not. And well, could you address quickly um, the number of single service members in the Guard and Reserve and their experiences at the hospital as you saw them? Right. Uh, sure. First of all, I want to thank Charles for his his uh, comments, and um, he's absolutely right. But I I also want to mention that when we were going through this, there were oftentimes we met service providers that reminded us that we were reservists. And that way we could go to community-based WTUs to be treated. And in my opinion, my daughter was too injured to do that. And as a result, we found out that was right. But um, there's still the A Army and the B Army at right. some points, and we're still trying to correct that. Right, Charles? Absolutely, and I'm still banging these guys upside the head with the pants. And, hey, you know something? <laughs> Wake up. Um, this is not a cartoon. You don't... And it's not an Xbox game. You get shot and then you come up, oh, you got 80 more points, and you just get a new life again. These guys lose it when they get hit. They lose a piece of them. Most time they lose a piece of the family. And they need to wake up and understand that it's cheaper to do the segmented version, separate. Separation of state never saves a penny. It creates, a, it creates more of a, a stress on the whole and. Like I said, your daughter is an outstanding individual. When you go to this community base as a wounded warrior, if you transition out of a WTU into a community base operation, you went through the wrong door. Yeah. All right? Because your seamless mm-hmm. transition, it disappears. Even though mm-hmm. as a wounded warrior that spent three and a half years in a hospital going through a bunch of surgeries and rehab, uh, you would think that it would have been easy, you know, as much as I was in the media, when I jumped that path of ecstasy, as they call it, from the DOD to the VA, it wasn't. DOD dropped me, the VA dropped me, and I had to connect the pieces and let these guys know, hey, I do exist. And they're like, oh, my bad. Well, we, we weren't tracking that you was on our payroll right now, and DOD already released you. So what are you, what are you going? Are you just floating? The system needs to come up to speed. And it's so easy. They claim it was an interpretation program. This, I mean, I could think of a thousand companies that can fix that problem overnight. But it's all about let's pass the buck over to our friends 
who's rubbed our backs in the history. And this is no longer the Reagan, the Carter, the Bush administration. The new administration need to track this, get on point, and do the right thing. All right. I think you need a bigger pan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and a couple of baseball bets. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. And by the way, for I don't think I know anybody that doesn't know King Charles. Charles Eggleston, um, he's uh, also the commander for the uh, uh, Order of the Purple Heart, also uh, the director for the Blue Star family, just to, make, just to mention a few. Okay. But we're going to take a short break and welcome uh, Charles. And you're listening Thank to the you. American Heroes Network. Powered by Voice America and the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join Gary Ray and his co-host as they show what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. And, Paulette, maybe you can explain to us how maybe we can get involved in this. Uh, you do, uh, you, I'm sorry, you have served on the Reserve Forces Policy Board and our um, uh, decisions made on that board? Uh, basically, um, if, if, some points are brought up, but um, I have not used that position as a platform unless it's brought up by others. I try to make the board aware of things, but um, I'm sure, you know, we'll be working on that in the future. So, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I again, um, I'm talking from the position of a mother, having been involved in this and living um, the life of a wounded warrior and um, and give um, credit. I just want to give credit, first of all, to all the caregivers out there. Without the caregivers, I don't know where our wounded warriors would be. They certainly, in my opinion, our wounded warriors would not receive the care that they would get because you have to fight for the care. And this, um, to me, that's unconscionable as well. The wounded warriors, our, our service members are the pillar of this country. Correct. And when they get injured, they should be taken care of, not have to fight to get care. So. You know, the, the system is a large one. It is bureaucratic, as you mentioned. And I appreciate you sharing all of these personal experiences today. 
as you look back on your experience and you look forward into what you're going to be doing next, what advice would you give other military families, and in particular, parent caregivers? Um, basically, um, I would say I, <laughs> we need the help of um, the Vietnam War generation um, to bond with I think Gary, uh, uh, Ray and I had talked a little bit before. I am of that generation. I know what went on. And we don't want anything to happen to this generation. But when this generation does not have advocates advocating for it, the same thing is going to happen. We need to bond together as spouses, parents, and a generation of veterans to make sure that our injured veterans are never forgotten and never have to fight for what is due them. So I don't have the answer. I, I know what has to be done. I can't do it by myself, but, I, you know, this forum is maybe one way that we can discuss it in the future. Well, and I also think that everyone who is listening um, becomes more aware. I think that there are a lot of willing and able organizations and individuals who are ready to help. They simply don't know how to help. Can you explain in some ways or a list maybe of how people can help? What, what can the general population, the military population, and families and friends do to support a caregiver of a wounded warrior or a veteran? Well, um, as I had mentioned before, there's some outside groups um, that are working with caregivers, uh, families of the wounded. Um, I, as I said, um, uh, they are in Richmond, Virginia, or Midlothian, Virginia. They were a wonderful support to us and still have supported us uh, with some financial help because we would have lost our house if it weren't for them. And um, donation... Donations, they accept donations. I think somebody can Google their name. Um, some of the smaller charities, like uh, the Aletheia Foundation, um, another organization that was of tremendous help, especially for caregivers. We were stuck in our room 24-7 for a year taking care of our soldiers, and they uh, sponsor a Friday night dinner. We actually got out of the room, out of the hospital, and went outside into the civilian world. They, that was like, I couldn't tell you how it made my daughter feel and me feel that I could actually see somebody in the outside world again. That was a great one. And um, there... I guess I would just say you're, we're going to have to – I don't know what to do. There's no central form getting some of these, you know, smaller um, – or contacting these uh, smaller organizations. What would you suggest for families and friends? I, I know in the beginning it was very, very difficult for you to field the questions and pass the information. Uh, but in the stage you're in now or maybe after the initial shock has broken through – what can you guide family and friends in how to support, what to say, uh, what can they help with? Because I know that there were things that you could have used, needed, or wanted, um, but you don't want to ask for it. So what can we tell them so that they will proffer it to you? Well, I know like when we were at the uh, new Bethesda Building, National Military, Walter Reed National Military 
center, uh, we didn't have toilet paper. We didn't have anything like that. So we had to go out and buy cleaning supplies and everything. So some of the churches would come in and they said, what do you need? And we would tell them the practical things uh, sometimes. Uh, sometimes people need some financial aid to help with bills, you know, because they're still um, – Doing things back home, you have electricity and insurance. My car broke down, I don't know how many times, and I, I couldn't get any help. Um, you know, it, it, that was difficult. Um, one big thing um, that I really feel that the caregivers, you know, they keep giving and giving, but they don't get psychological help. Um, you don't want to talk about that at the hospital because you will be said, you know, pointed out that oh, you're you're not well enough to take care of a care uh, your your service member. So um, it wears on you. You get depressed. You're tired. You have no time for yourself. Um, I would like to see outside organizations rally and not depend on the government to supply that. Um, the government can do things, but they don't do them well all the time, as many of us know. The private sector does. And um, they have to step up and um, help and, and push mental health programs for the caregivers as well. All right. Charles, do you have any input on that as far as uh, you know, where we could go? Yeah, I can, I can tell you exactly. We need to go to major corporations. Uh, oh. we, we got individuals such as the Koch brothers who could contribute about a half a billion dollars to an election. How about let's take a quarter of a billion put into a program and they don't miss a penny. Track that. They don't miss a penny. On top of that, one thing that family missed, and I know for a fact they leave because I've seen several families, including your, yourself, Paulette, uh, go through the same thing. They need free law, legal, like lawyer, a, a real formable lawyer association or a lawyer group that comes in and let them know their actual rights. Absolutely. All right. And be supportive because this is the way it works at the Walter Reed of America. This is how it works at, at Damsey in the United States, our great medical centers. If you start having a breakdown, they will say, oh, well, you know, we always figured that she had a problem or he had a problem. Let's get them out of here. they hindering the care of this wounded warrior, and that's, that's really the objective from the start. Let's take the advocate, the personal advocate, out of the picture. By any reason, is I, is I could even think of, to give us an extra chance to downgrade your loved one and kick your loved one to the curb. Because if, if the DOD system was set up to help the wounded warriors, believe me, every wounded warrior that got injured would come out rated correctly. Why is a WFT being rated at 10%? Uh, you want to figure that one out? Is, does that sound like a pre-existing condition? No. <laughs> it's called someone's trying to screw around with the MEB and PEB, and they do it all day long. And the problem with that was it, it caught my attention, and this wounded warrior had a serious t- TBI. He was about to sign off on something, which is illegal. He can't sign off on anything. It's a traumatic TBI, and he lost limbs. He had to have a caretaker to do that for him. And he was about to sign off on it. Someone pulled my coat, just like with Paulette. When I jump in, folks get real, real shaky because they know I'm not going to start in the middle. I believe going at the at the office of the president or the joint chiefs of staff, because right. as they always give me, uh, we're unaware. I get get on the on the baseline and become aware of what's going right. on. You know that's, okay. that's a poor excuse. 
All right. Well, we got just a little bit over a minute here. First of all, uh, Paulette, I want to find out how's your daughter doing? Nobody ever asked you that during this whole interview. <laughs> uh, Stephanie is doing well. Good. Um, she is a trooper, a fighter, and um, she has great tenacity. So um, every day is a challenge, but she's doing very well. Um, it breaks my heart. She was an elite runner and now she can't run anymore, but um, she's finding other ways to show her strength. So right. thank yep. you for asking, and I'm just so very proud of her, to be her well, mother. Pa- I really am. Great. Paulette, we'd love to have you back very soon. How's that sound to you? Oh, I'd, I'd love to help out in any way, and yes, thank you for the invitation. Okay. Paulette, do you have any closing remarks before we go? Um. I was just going to say, um, maybe in closing, uh, never did I anticipate a three-year-long stay at Walter Reed uh, would put me in this arena arena of experience. Um, I saw the struggles that had to be fought to get care for my daughter and other soldiers, and my experience and tenacity oftentimes pushed me up against the bureaucratic inertia asking uncomfortable, questionable situations with the military and their way of doing things. And, uh, you know, I, I think if the military would open up and, and let us civilians help, things could be better. But, right. you know, I'm here to help, and that's what right. I can say. That's my way of helping and giving to the country. All right, we only have a couple seconds. I want to thank you, Charles, for showing up. Thank you, Linda. And again, uh, this is Gary Ray along with Linda Crater, Charles Eggleston. Thanks for listening to the American Heroes uh, Network, powered by the Voice of America on the Variety Channel. And we'll be right back. Have a, I'm sorry. Have a terrific week. We'll be right back next week. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.